listening to the Leadership Woman podcast with me, Jill Savile. And my guest today is Fabiana Mariano Green. Uh, she's a great friend of mine. This is the third podcast of 2022, so I've not said happy new year to everybody i hope your year has started really well fabiana she said she wants to be introduced as, as just a coach maybe an executive coach but i think by the end of this you'll agree that she is so much more than a coach and she's going to be telling you her story so welcome fabiana Thank you so much, Jill, for your invitation, for having me here. It's an honor to be here with you. You know how much I admire you and love you and your work. And, um, and thank you for the kind words in your introduction as well. You're welcome. We've had many a happy time and uh, we can say where we met uh, as we go along. So let's start off with where were you born, Fabiana? I, I think it was Brazil. Yes, indeed. I was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil in 1975. In 1975, just a spring chicken. <laughs> and and describe your childhood to me. So I was born in a low middle income family in Brazil. My great-grandparents were, they immigrated from Italy during the Second World War, uh, which means that my parents had a a quite poor childhood and they left school when they were 10 years old, you know, to go to work and contribute financially. My family has a, a beautiful story. My father, particularly, he started working really early, like I said, when he was 10 years old. Um, he had all kinds of jobs. He was actually um, collecting rubbish from the streets when, when he was uh, very young. He's a man of values. He's a man of principles. And he got a job at a bank, I think, on his early 20s. And uh, he grew inside that organization. And he became um, a branch manager for one of the banks in Sao Paulo, which means that uh, he was able to pay for me and my brother to have an education, to, to go to a private school up until I was I think, 12 years old. Yeah, I went to private school. My goodness. So going from collecting rubbish to a branch manager in a, in a bank. I mean, what it's a, amazing. It, it is an amazing journey for your father. And you mentioned he's a man of values and principles. So clearly I, I can hear where you get them from. So you were at private school. What happened then? So I loved learning. I still do. It's my passion and my obsession. When I was, I think, 12 years old, I got selected to be part of another school, which in Brazil is called a technical school, four years. So by the end of it, I was a computer programmer. So I started my career quite early. Um, Actually, let me take a step back. Two years before I graduated, I actually, so when I was 16, I got my first job. And I was a secretary. (laughs) I was working for a company. You would never imagine what they did. Artificial insemination. Oh, my word. 
<laughs> oh my goodness, right? So, and I was secretary there. So I had to learn everything about how cows get artificially inseminated. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, so I was there for two years and I was a secretary or a telephone, like, you know, like a receptionist. So I was answering the phone the whole day. And by the end of it, I would uh, go to night, to night school. Um, yeah, so I went to night school. And then I graduated from that school. So that was my technical school. By the end of that school, I was selected for uh, an internship at a small uh, company that was doing technology consulting. And I started, so I, then I started my career as a developer, as a computer programmer. So that was my first career. Computer. My second, actually, first as a secretary <laughs> and then a computer programmer. <laughs> So how old were you by this time? 18 computer program? I think I was 18, 19, 18. Yeah. So uh, computer programmer, which is couldn't be further from what you do now, I think. It's very task-based, whereas now you're very people-focused. Where did you go from computer programming? I actually really, really loved that career. It was a very exciting time to be learning technology. It was kind of the beginning of microcomputing. And it is true, absolutely true, that I'm a very people-oriented person. And that job was not in line with my personality. So I enjoyed a lot. I had great relationships. Uh, but I would say that um, I was an average programmer. I never made it to the top because that job wasn't totally aligned with my strengths. I just had to put many more hours and much more effort into my job to kind of get to average results. Um, mm. But at the same time, I built wonderful relationships. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking back to one of my first jobs and uh, oh, I, I was just so so average at it because it really wasn't playing to my strengths and and for whatever reason I got promoted and it and it got a lot easier <laughs> and uh, and so while in that job I realized that there was a, um, a different track that I could take in that career which was business analysis and that was kind of more aligned with my strengths uh, because then I needed to walk into a business and understand what, what their business requirements and then translate that into system requirements. So, you know, being that bridge between these two parties, I kind of took steps to, um, to align my job with my strengths, even though at that time I was very much blind to what my strengths were. I was just like going for intuition. I, I had never taken the time to sit down and say, hey, who am I? What are my values? What are my strengths? And how can I, you know, make more intentional choices with regards to my life and career? I was just going with the flow. Yes. Um, and how you help people do all of that for themselves. I know yeah. I'm jumping to the end. So um, systems analysis then, being that bridge, what did you move on to after that? So I, I had that career for more than 10 years in different parts of the world. So I worked in Brazil and then I worked in the United States, in Mexico, in Venezuela, in Europe. 
and I really, really loved it. Eventually, my company, I, I had moved jobs, so I wasn't working for a small consultancy anymore. I was, I was working for a multinational uh, organization doing technology consulting. And eventually, I got made redundant from that job because uh, the company that I was working for was bought by, by an even, even bigger company. And I was working on a particular service line. Um, so the new company, you know, they kind of said, no, we don't want this as part of our strategy anymore. So then I was made redundant. At that time, I was married to Alistair. I still am married to him. And Alistair was just finishing his studies because uh, he, he's British and he, you know, as you guys from England do, you finish your university and then you start working. <laughs> and for me, that was like, oh my gosh, couldn't be further from my reality because I was working and studying since I was 16 years old. I was uh, the breadwinner at that time. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I need a job. I need a job. Which country were you in at that time? I was living in Amsterdam. And, uh, and then you... And then I started looking for a job. And I had a friend that lived in Geneva, where I live today. And she said, I'm going to introduce you to someone. I think she's looking for someone exactly like you. And I said, oh, sounds great. So she introduces me and, um, and I talk to this person. And this person says, can you come for an interview? So I go for the interview. And, uh, and she says uh, to me, I need someone with exactly your skills. It was the shortest interview of my whole life. <laughs> okay and she looks at me and she says I need someone with exactly those skills and I'm thinking great because she was working at the time she was working for the World Health Organization here in, the, in Geneva the United Nations Specialized Agency for Health and they offered me a six-month contract working there and I thought that is wonderful because I have this wonderful UN job that just landed on my plate I'm going to work there for six months and I'm going to change the world. And did you need to move to Geneva to do this job? Yes, I moved to Geneva and I started the job. Mm -hmm. And it was the worst experience of my life <laughs> <laughs> up to this day. Okay. Oh dear. It was career suicide for me because I. Say yes to the job. I come to Geneva, okay? And first day of the job, that lady that recruited me, I then realized that what she needed was a secretary. And when she, I explained everything about my technical skills, all the languages that I, that, that I could program on. But basically the only thing she understood is she has good technical skills. Okay, and for her, the technical skills that she needed was someone to print her PowerPoint presentations because she didn't even know how to print. Oh, dear, dear, dear. And she so and, and to make corrections on her Word document because she was completely not comfortable with computers mm -hmm. and she needed someone very technical to help her. With a oh dear, with a printer. So, so what did you do? You, it's not what you expected. So your expectations are dashed. What, what did you do? 
First, I cried. <laughs> After that. Then I complained. <laughs> I was looking for someone to blame. And then I thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's a disaster. Because, you know, I had just moved and I'm thinking, you know what? I have this contract for six months. I actually need the money. I, I have to make it work. So I thought, okay, I'm going to talk with, the, they, they had a new director in the department. And actually I went to talk to him. And I made a list of all the problems I could solve. Oh, I looked around and I said, oh my gosh, I can solve so many problems here. And listen, I was coming from a very flat organizational culture, which was Holland, okay? So going to the director for me was just the, the right thing to do. However, I didn't realize that in the, they have a super hierarchical environment. And my boss was Mexican. So I am totally innocent. I'm just trying to add value and to solve problems. And I go to the director and I say, here's a list of all the problems I can solve. And the director was from Finland and new to the organization as well. So he was as clueless as I was. <laughs> and then he says, oh, that's great. I can promote you. And I think, okay, great, that's working until my boss hears about it, okay? When my boss here heard that I went straight to the director and I had this agreement with him and I was going to solve all those problems, she got mad. She got totally mad because it wasn't her culture and it wasn't what she needed and it wasn't what she had hired me to do. Did you still get promoted then? I started a five-year journey when I said, okay, I need to take ownership for the choices that I've made. And yes, I can solve lots of problems in this organization. So what happened is that the director came back to me and he said, um, actually, uh, I can promote you, but just one level. And at that department was sitting in one area that had nothing to do with technology. So at that point, I started a five-year journey inside that organization where I went from being hired as a secretary in a department that had nothing to do with technology to then moving to um, a team that was in the technology department. But in order to move to that team, I actually had to be downgraded. <laughs> so I went further down, okay? But at least I was in the area where I wanted to be. And I think the point in there, right, is that when it comes to career and career progression, it's never a straight path. And then after a while in that department, my boss left. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's my chance. I want to become the manager. Um, and then, Jill, I had a colleague that was working with me, which I really, really respected. And he also applied for the boss's position. And I thought, oh my goodness, uh, what do I do now? I remember that I was driving home and I had this moment when I thought, oh my goodness, I think what I'm meant to do is to step back. Uh, it's not my time yet. It's not my turn yet. I just had this understanding in front of me or inside of me. And then um, I remember walking to my boss's, um, my boss's office the next day and say, I would like to withdraw my application. 
And she said, but why? You went really well. You know, you were a really good candidate. And I remember saying to her those words. I remember saying to her, uh, my, my time has not come yet. And then that colleague became my boss. He became the new boss. And then he stayed in that position for one year, but then he resigned. And, and then, then I thought, okay, now I'm going to go for it. <laughs> now it's your time. Now it's my time. Now I'm going to go for it. But then I had a new boss. And then I went to the new boss and they said, hey, this is me. I have been waiting for a while for this opportunity. I'm really good. I can solve lots of problems. And wonderful woman, best boss I've ever had. Um, she looked at me and she said, all that I can say to you is that you can apply for this position. It's going to be an international competition open to people from all over the world. You will be treated fairly. If you get this job, it's because you're really the best candidate. That's all I can say. Um, and I was so mad. Because the previous year, you wouldn't have had to go through all that. No, no. No, but they had upgraded the position. Okay, so they upgraded the position. You could apply, and what happened? And I got the job. Ah, <laughs> I was waiting. I got the job, and I became the boss of my team. If I could just step in here, because you've had quite a, a different career path. You said that it doesn't have to be in a straight line, but not many people. Um, many people go sideways, I think, but you actually went down. And you actually withdrew from a competition thinking this isn't, this isn't my time. Looking back, would you do the same? I would have done exactly the same. Hmm. Yeah. I think that looking back, one thing that I would have done differently is that in that interview that I had with the job, like with that boss, that, you know, it was basically a five minute interview and she hired me. What I would have done differently is that I would have asked more questions, you know, because I came in and I was like, oh my gosh, that was so easy. Never had a, an interview as easy as that. So I really take ownership for not having asked more questions and understood more about what she expected from me. That's um, a, a really good lesson for people to take away. You know, it, it's a two-way interview, isn't it? Not yes. just do they want you, but do you want them? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so you, I think you said earlier it was uh, five years there with the UN. or was No, no, I actually stayed 14 years. Ah, 14, okay. Yeah, I stayed 14 years. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? And then what happened is that um, when I became the boss of my team, I thought, hey, great news. I became the boss of my team. Bad news, I became the boss of my team because wonderful people, people that I respected and still respect tremendously, anyone could have become the boss. Um, and I thought, you know, how do I transition? How do I transition from being a team member to being a supervisor? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the patterns that I see looking back in my life is that whenever I... Uh, am facing a challenge I always go back to learning so I thought oh my gosh I need to learn so much um, thankfully I had already been studying leadership but that's when actually I joined the John Maxwell team which is where I met you and so when I became the boss of my team was actually when I started studying coaching 
And I started studying coaching out of necessity. And I started learning about leadership. And the more I learned and the more I put those concepts into practice, the more passionate I became. Hmm. At that time as well, I started having children. And I think there was a big, a really big shift inside of me that started to happen. And although I was extremely grateful for my job, something inside of me wasn't working anymore. So I had no fulfillment. I had a lot of gratitude, but I had no fulfillment. You had a lot of gratitude, but no fulfillment. So what did you do? So I started asking myself certain questions. One day I came across this question that was, if you had all the money in the world and um, if you had, if you knew you would not fail, what would you do? Mm -hmm. That question hooked me. It's a question that I thought was intriguing, but I had no answer to that question. Mm -hmm. And I remember that during one of my coaching classes, uh, I learned about the concept of staying with the question let it work inside of you. And eventually the answer will surface. So I stayed with that question for three months and I had no answer. And one day I was having dinner with my friend and Alistair and, uh, and, and their family. And I just brought the question up and I asked them the question. And I said, say, what would be your answer to this question? And then they were like, you know, we were just talking and all of a sudden, okay, the answer came. It just came. And then they said to me, so what's your answer? And they said, you know, what I would do is that I would resign from my job and I would open a company called Lead in Life. And the slogan would be lead yourself into the life you want to live. And then they were shocked, but I was more shocked than they were because I thought, where is that coming from, you know? It sounds like I have so much, so much clarity, but I didn't know I had this clarity. You're talking about lots of things around coaching there. And we, we both agree about the power of coaching and that question that you said, if you had all the money in the world and you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? Um, it is a powerful question. And, and you stayed with it. You didn't avoid it. Your subconscious was working on it. You didn't know it was. Yeah. And you came up with this answer. So Leading Life is the company you did form and it's still your company. Um, yes, yes. So I think what happened at that point is that I, I started testing that dream. And one of the ways that I was putting my dreams to the test, my dream to the test was actually going to uh, Guatemala, volunteering. Would you like to talk a little bit about that trip to give people a little bit of context? <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, so, yes, you've said we were both part of the John Maxwell team and John Maxwell was invited to go into Guatemala because they wanted to transform the country. So John was talking to all of these high up officials, all the government people, and then he invited members of the team. So the first time we went, were there 150 of us, something like that, Yeah. Um, to go with him and start to... First of all, train ourselves on this round table concept and then go into organizations and teach them how to run a round table. 
And the idea being that one round table would spawn six or seven others and soon thousands of people would be in this program. Transformation begins with me. So I think I arrived first and we were both saving money at the time. And I, I said, yeah, I would share. And so my recollection is you arriving at something like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And trying to be quiet in the dark in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, so I arrived in that, yeah, exactly. And I was pregnant of my fourth child. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, and there was lots of things happening in my life. But um, yeah, so that was for me one way that I was putting my dreams to the test. Because at that point, okay, I was considering a change in my career. But I said, you know what, let me do this differently this time. Uh, what are my values? What are my strengths? You know, what activities really bring me alive? And uh, so I would say that I wanted to make a choice that was very much based on, um, on knowing who I am, uh, which frankly, I had not taken the time to study myself before and to study my own potential and to understand my own potential. Um, so volunteering was a very important part of that. And that was the first of uh, two or three, but many trips we did together, you and me, <laughs> to all different parts of the world. Yeah, and then I came back. Okay, I came back, and um, with my my, I was four months pregnant. And actually, Jill, I tell you, I went to church on a Sunday. Okay, and uh, church was a very safe place for me at that time because with three small kids okay so I had my, my eldest was five and a half when my youngest the fourth one was born oh dear me okay so imagine that so Sunday for me was this paradise where I could just sit for an hour <laughs> with no children with no children you know because they went they go to Sunday school and let things sink so I come back from my trip, I go to church and I sit for an hour. I come out of church with my three kids and my big belly. And I say to Alistair, so we, we are about, Alistair is about to turn the car on so we can move on with our lives. And I sit in the car and I looked at Alistair and I said, Alistair, I think that I need to resign from my job. And then... He looks at me and he says, okay, like he's listening. And then I said, and I have this understanding that I need to do it right now. Because if I don't do it right now, I am going to reason myself out of that choice. Mm -hmm. So I kind of remember that moment, Joe, because for me, like I had this, I had this window of opportunity it's almost like I saw a window of opportunity that opened in front of me. And I knew my intuition was telling me that I needed to act and I needed to act there and then. So I'm forever grateful to Alistair because in the middle of the three kids in the back of the car and me in front, he turns the car off. He looks at me and he says, then do it now. That must have been wonderful to have that support. Wonderful. Wonderful. And for me, that moment was life-changing. Mm -hmm. Because 
And that is the moment, Jill, that I learned something that perhaps is one of the biggest things I have learned in my life so far. So he looked at me and he said, then do it now. Alistair gave me at that moment was so powerful because what he gave me was unconditional love, but also, Jill, belief. He mm. believed in me. Now, as a coach, I think that that's the biggest gift I can give to the person that is sitting in front of me. It's to believe in them. Mm. Because we live in a world where we see people according to their results and not according to their potential. And that's why we so easily um, give in to self-doubt. But I am not my results. You are not your results, right? My results, like you know, my results are simply an expression of my current level of awareness. If I change my level of awareness, I change my results. I am not my results. You are not your results. And when you sit in front of someone and you look at that person and you go like, like I don't see you for your results. I see you for your potential. That power of belief is life-changing. And I hope that people are sitting listening to this and maybe even rewind that bit because it's so powerful to, to understand that. And I'm sure that people who are your clients really love to feel that belief that you have in them. So I think we are more or less up to date, are we? Um, yes. So then um, I resigned from my job <laughs> well, okay. at that point. Let's go so back. The, the I did more. resign. <laughs> you did resign. I did resign. And, um, and I started my business as an executive coach. Um, and because I went through so many struggles in my career, while I was working in the UN system, my dream and my heart has always been to go back there and make a difference, but at a different capacity. I had, and I still have a very deep understanding for the culture of the organization. And I know, and I, I have been fascinated by the amazing potential of people of the people sitting there. So when I left, I thought, you know, I'm leaving. Yes, I'm resigning. Yes. And actually, I remember my boss, my boss asked me, so what's the reason for your resignation? And in my resignation letter, I wrote to you, I said, you know, this job no longer allows me to fulfill my potential. And that's why I'm resigning, because I became very aware that you know, my time on earth is limited, but my potential is unlimited. And that the best way I could use my time was, you know, to use that that I have that is limited to develop that that I have that is unlimited. And at some point, and, and basically my job was, <laughs> was an obstacle for me to do that. <laughs> And I resigned. Uh, and of course, that I was very lucky to resign because I had my husband to support me. 
So I created a program called Advance, uh, which, is a, which is about helping people take, take ownership for their career path and reflect on their own potential and how they can, they can transform that potential into solutions and healing to the world, but at the same time, build a life that is more meaningful and fulfilling. And it's a program that um, at the core of it is the redefinition of leadership. I use Brené's, Brené Brown's definition of leadership where she says, you know, a leader is anyone who sees potential in people and processes and takes the ownership for developing it. Mm. So it's about you taking ownership for your own potential, developing it, and then helping others do the same. And um, so that's what I did for the WHO. And we launched that program. I'm very grateful for Sarah, the leader in that organization that believed in me um, and that supported me to launch that program. And we launched that program in 2021 with women from 32 countries. So it's a program for women. It's for everyone, uh, but for that particular organization, we launched it for women. Okay. And then I understand that uh, they put the program in for an award. I'm extremely grateful that she nominated the program for the Career Development Roundtables Award, uh, which took place in Milan in December 2021, and we won the award. Well yes. done. Well done for that. Thank you. It feels like uh, not the pinnacle because I know that you've got further to go, but it feels like a, an award along the way, showing you that you're now aligned with everything that you, you wanted to do. So let's round up then with what do you want people to take away? Looking back in my life, what I have learned is that Taking the risk, right, to resign from my job and then to uh, build a new career that was aligned with my values and my strengths and my priorities in life has been one of the hardest decisions I have ever made, but also one of the best decisions I have ever made. Because when it comes to work, we spend the majority of our times at work. So the way we spend our time at work is the way we spend our lives. Mm -hmm. And no one should have to go through life unfulfilled. And I understand that there are systemic problems around it, right? Like, the world of work is not only built, it's not built this way. It's not built necessarily to, you know, we don't necessarily design jobs um, that are aligned with who people truly are and their potential and their strengths. And so there are lots of systemic problems uh, when it comes to that, but we can't wait for anyone to do anything about it, right? Your potential is yours. Your life is yours. 
And if you're going through life unfulfilled, and if you hate what you do, I urge you to stop. Stop and honor all those hard feelings that you're experiencing right now. Name those feelings. What is it? Frustration, anger, confusion, mixed with gratitude. What is it? You know, just if, if you are feeling that impasse inside of you, what I would like to say to you is, is stop right now. Don't avoid it, but embrace it. It's worth it. I think that's it for me. Well, that, that is a big it. <laughs> Let me be extremely clear. When I resigned from my job, I made a decision that had a huge impact in the financial future of my family. Mm. Huge impact. Um, so no, it's not for everyone. Um, I was fortunate to be able to do it at that time. Uh, it has been difficult. Uh, at, you know, I'll, I've had many uh, difficult moments along that journey, like I shared with you. However, yes, it's not about resigning from your job. It's about taking ownership for developing your potential. Mm -hmm. And it's about taking ownership and being intentional about designing your life. And of course, John Maxwell would talk about living intentionally. We yeah. can get up every day and life can just pass us by or we can set intentions and... Uh, one of the most important books that I do with groups is still, still, you probably know what I'm going to say, 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. Yeah. That book changed my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Changed my life. Now, that was the book that I was reading, actually, when I resigned from my job. Ah. <laughs> ah Be okay. careful, everyone. <laughs> and if people in the aspiring leaders are listening, I, I think that's going to be the new book for spring. Uh, so, um, thank you so much, Fabiana. Um, it has been such a pleasure today and, uh, you've certainly added value to my life since we met, was it 2013? I think something like that. I think so, Joe, 2013. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's wonderful, even though you're in Switzerland and I'm here in France, uh, whenever far apart so thank you so much for coming on the leadership woman podcast and sharing your life lessons with us thank you so much for having me um and i was thinking you know i've still got that video of you and me Oh, in Guatemala. I think I'm going to put it on LinkedIn attached to this podcast because we're talking about going to the presidential palace. <laughs> where I belong. Well, yeah, you, said, you said where we belong. <laughs>